are you doing today, Lily? I'm dehydrated. I just said that. Why you're holding a giant thing of water? Why are you dehydrated? <laughs> because I haven't drunk any of the giant thing of water. Oh well, take a drink. Now, Lily, while you're drinking, wow, <laughs> that was horrible. While you, while you're uh, trying not to spit out the water that you just drank, uh, I want you to answer this. I want you to think about this question. If you were hiring someone, would you ask for their criminal background? Why would you not? Well, you're already ahead of the people in today's story. <laughs> oh, dear. I started recording, by the way. My name is Eric McAdams, and this is a podcast about incompetence on a grand scale. With me today is my own dear sister, Lily. Hello. Hi, Lily. Hi, Eric. How are you feeling right now? Dehydrated. I said that. No, but I meant more of an emotional state. <laughs> nervous. Yeah, you're feeling nervous? Why? I am. It's because it's such a big, prestigious podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, this is a tastemaker. A lot of people listen to this. A lot of people will know that you were nervous. Well, that's fine. You can edit this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to get a little banter in the beginning. So for those who don't know, Big Time Whoopsies is a podcast about incompetence, which means I'm going to be telling you stories from history about incompetence on a grand scale. These are stories in which not just one person, but many people made a big old mistake. Or, as we say in the biz... A whoopsie. Yeah. Hmm. Only the yes. only those in the know know I, that term. I understand the title now. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Well, before. actually, Tom recently made the Twitter account for it, and literally his catchphrase for it is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> like I called it a podcast about incompetence, which is good. It gets it gets the point out. He mm -hmm. has people are dumb and history can prove it, which is just immediately better than yeah, anything that's I good. said. <laughs> and I just want everyone to know who has seen that Twitter account. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> that is not me. I also didn't make the theme song for this or the logo for this. Amazing. Hi, I'm Eric McAdams and this is my podcast. <laughs> Do an episode on yourself, honestly. <laughs> oh god, that would be a terrible episode. It all started. And it would like I wouldn't even the have a day guest. I was born. I wouldn't even have a guest for that. It would be just me. No, no, no. You and I would make... I would read the story and then I'd react to it and just go like Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, you should make it like two versions of you though, like a past Eric and a present Eric. Like record the first part talking about all of the things, and then like years later you stumble upon <laughs> it, have an old and wizened voice. Uh -huh. And react to all of it. Yeah, okay. Preferably embarrassed. It'll, it'll be like the frame story of uh, Princess Bride. Yes, yes. That's what Except it... that you are both the grandfather and the child. Yeah. And I'll be playing a baseball video game the whole <laughs> and time, the too. The story is your life. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. It's got everything. It's got, it's got sword fights and giant rodents. <laughs> the Princess Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, should we get into it? Sure. Should we get down and dirty? Yes, sure. Have you ever heard of the dating game? No. 
The Dating Game was a TV show that started in the 60s and got revived in the 70s and then also got revived in the 80s. Like televised speed dating? It's sort of like televised speed dating, except what happens is you've got one bachelorette and three bachelors, and neither uh, neither of these two groups can see the other's faces. I feel like I've seen parodies of this. Yeah, you probably have. It was a pretty big thing because bachelorette would ask questions and the three bachelors would each give an answer and then the bachelorette would choose which of the bachelors she would go on a date with, which was paid for by the studio. Right. Just based on the answers, not on faces. Yes. Gotcha. There Stupid is... already. <laughs> Television in the 60s and 70s, Lily. <laughs> Television in general. Human society. This is the aim of this whole this podcast. This is just like the baby of the current Bachelorette, except yeah. that... It's only based on faces just in, and not at all on answers. <laughs> I feel like occasionally you hear people talk about like, oh, these reality dating shows, they're so soulless. And I'm like, they've been going on for a while They've now. been soulless for decades. Yeah. So, 1978. There is a specific episode of The Dating Game. And, we're go- and I'm going to tell you a little bit about two of The Bachelors. Okay. One of them is... Sorry, is it only a bachelorette with three bachelors, or yeah. do they ever do, like, They did reverse ba- ones occasionally, okay. I think. Okay. One of them is introduced as a successful photographer. He is asked at one point, uh, if you were a dish in, in uh, at a dinner, what would you be? Yeah. You know, in that flirty way that the bachelorette has. <laughs> and he responds, I'm the banana, and I look great. Peel me. Oh. God. The other one. Oh my god. I'm not going to talk about- This is like actual real life televised Tinder, like, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Tinder, but everyone sees. Actually, oh my god. There was something, so one of my friends had a a Tinder thing, and in it, she, I assume she said that she's like a vegetarian or that she likes avocados or something, Mm -hmm. and some guy used a pickup line that was like- do you want to paint me green and say that I'm a bad avocado and spank me? Or something like that? Wow. Something, like, equally badly stated. Holy moly. I think she might have even responded to him. Oh, that's so outdated. That's so audacious. You got it. Like, say something. But I think that then we, like, a year later, drunk dared her to respond again with the original thing that he said to him, but Uh he didn't remember what it was, and he was just like, what? (laughs) Well, yeah. So. Sorry. The first one says the thing about the banana. The other one, um, there isn't footage of some of his answers, but he was billed as an actor. He was just getting his start. And actually, I found this out later, he would go on to be on Seinfeld and a couple Scorsese movies, bit roles, but anyway, he was he was a young actor as opposed to the successful photographer. Now, Lily, I have a question for you. Uh. Would you have been able to tell which one of those was a pedophile, rapist, and serial killer? Uh, no. After the show, the bachelorette, whose name was Cheryl, refused to go on the date with the winner, bachelor number one, who said the thing about bananas. Because she said that he started acting really creepy and kind of possessive towards her. They were supposed to go have a tennis lesson together. Okay. That's what they won. Okay. Another answer that he said that I didn't tell you was that he was asked flirtatiously, what's your best time? I guess. I I don't know if that counts as flirty, but I wasn't alive in the 70s. Oh, God. And he responded with, nighttime is the best time. He would go on to say, it's the only time there is. 
the bachelor who won, the one who said the thing about the banana, the one who said the thing about nighttime, his name was Rodney Alcala. And today's episode is called Rodney Alcala, a successful photographer. Okay. And because, and you probably have gotten this by now, here's a content warning saying that if pedophilia, rape, or murder is something that gives you an emotional trigger, you should probably skip to the end. I'll talk about nicer things near the end, I promise. We're going to dive into the deep end. Are you ready? All right. A nice, successful photographer. Ten years before... So that was appear- what, like 78? That 70? was 78. Ten okay. years before his appearance on The Dating Game. Okay. Rodney Alcala is living in Los Angeles. Okay. In 1968, police are informed of a child getting into the car of a stranger in a beige car. They, the person who tips off the police... Hang on, sorry, but you already know that it's a bad person because beige car? Who gets beige for cars? <laughs> Come on. Someone trying not to stand out, maybe. Seriously, but, like, you blend in yeah. to the ground. Yeah, no, no, no serial killer has ever driven a yellow Lamborghini. <sighs> Why not? They'd be so much more identifiable. Okay, Lily. <laughs> Thanks for your opinion. You're welcome. <laughs> could solve all the world's problems just drive yellow lamborghinis if you're bad lily for president thank you (laughs) they get the the informant gets the plates and the police find that the car is registered to rodney alcala who lives at a house nearby the location police go to the rodney's house and he answers the door and he says he's just gotten out of the shower so they should give him a minute. And while he says he's going to go get ready, he slips out the back. Gotcha. Police break the door down and they find eight-year-old Tali Shapiro beaten and raped on the floor. Gotcha. Good. Great. Good there, start. Yeah. There was... there. They thought she was dead and moved on because there was a lot of blood next to her and she did not seem to be breathing and they went after Alcala. They came back, and she was sputtering for air. Okay. She Tali Shapiro ended up surviving. That's good. She Her parents took her out of uh, California, and they moved to Mexico after that, because they kind of didn't want to be near there. That makes sense. Yeah. How old was uh, Rodney at this point? Rodney was 25 at the time, and he was an art student at UCLA. So he was born in what 43 gotcha alcala escapes right great three years go by before anyone finds anything before anyone sees anything related to him did they just like give up searching no they didn't a detective on the case convinced the fbi to circulate wanted posters uh with his face and he had a pretty distinctive face he was kind of tall had dark hair that was long and curly uh crazy for the times a little bit like weird al yankovic okay okay and uh alcala it turns out has fled to new hampshire that's far away and we know this because students at a summer camp saw an FBI wanted poster for Rodney Alcala and they identified their counselor, John Berger, as that man. Wow. That's terrifying. Yep. How old were the kids? 
Do we have I any? I don't know. Oy. It turns out that Alcala had fled first to New York City, mm-hmm. where he uh, studied at NYU. He studied film. And this is all under the alias John Berger. He actually studied under Roman Polanski, which is his own can of worms. I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Then he went and taught summer camp where he was eventually identified. And on that identification, Alcala is arrested and brought back to Los Angeles. He is then tried for what he did to Tali Shapiro. However, because Tali Shapiro has left the country and they don't know where exactly in Mexico she is, Mm -hmm. they can't bring her back as a witness. And so because of that, the prosecution doesn't think their case is that strong. So his charges are dropped down to child molestation. Oh my God. However, he is convicted and he is given a sentence of one year to life. Because under the uh, indeterminate sentencing laws of California in the Mm -hmm. 70s, what would happen with sexual predators is they would be put in jail until a parole board thought that they had been rehabilitated. Right. Great. And once the parole board thought that they were rehabilitated, they were free to go. And that could be at any point between one and forever. Uh, Yeah. Nice. And it should be said, Rodney Alcala was be- was known to be fairly charming. When police uh, talked to friends and colleagues of his at UCLA uh, in LA after he escaped, the, one of his professors said, no, you have to have the wrong person. Rodney Alcala would never harm a fly. He was a charming man, and after less than three years, he charmed his psychiatrists and a parole board and was free to go. In 1974, he was out of prison and, and on parole. He worked in L.A. and uh, lived with his parents and even occasionally traveled to New York City, which should be a violation of his parole. Mm-hmm. But his parole officer was just like, yeah, whatever. Charmed he's fine. Away. Yep. Right around a time when he vacationed to New York for a week, there is another murder case of a woman named Ellen Jane Hover. In New York or in L.A.? In New York. Gotcha. And he was, and John Berger was a suspect, or Rodney Alcala, I can't remember which alias, uh, they, but he, they were looking for him in New York, but he didn't live in New York, so they couldn't find him. And police, dis- and police departments don't really talk to each other, so that was that. Nice. Yep. I have a feeling this is becoming a trend of just kind of, like, slipping away. By 1978, he had gotten a job at the LA Times as a typesetter despite the fact that he was a registered sex offender and had been convicted of child molestation and went to jail for years because of it. Right. No one asked if he had a criminal history, and he wasn't going to tell them. So is this just, like, the story of how people began to ask if people have criminal backgrounds? Or no, did they, this just, is, did they no. just not do that then? No, this is a story about incompetence, not historical significance. Right, but, like... Could it be? <laughs> nope, that's not this one. Can we change it to the happy point when they start to ask these things? <laughs> While he was working for the LA Times as a typesetter, he would show his photography to his co-workers, and one of them noticed that there were a lot of young girls in sexually explicit poses. Rodney Alcala said that they this was with the permission of their parents, and that the parents actually asked him to take the pictures, which was, of course, a lie, because what Alcala had been doing was luring young women and young boys 
um, from the between the ages of anywhere from 13 to 30, uh, back to his apartment and saying he was connected in the fashion industry and asking them to take pictures with him. Wow. Yep. And they did. And I just like the worst part of that is that that definitely happens so frequently. Like stuff like that, you know, I can get you into this industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so slimy. Yep. During during his time at the LA Times, they were also police were investigating the Hillside Strangler, which was another serial killer known because he would strangle people and then leave them uh, on hillsides and well, ravines. Didn't he only strangle women or something, or is that something else that I'm thinking? I maybe I didn't research the Hillside Strangler. Safe bet whenever you're talking about serial killers is that they only went after women. Yeah, right. Just in because general. Freak women. Because usually the serial killer is a man, and usually the killing is a sex thing. Yeah. Any hooser. Just as a general rule. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And actually, Rodney Alcala was questioned in the investigation for the Hillside Strangler because he was nearby one of the places of a victim of the Hillside Strangler. Except, wait, it wasn't the Hillside Strangler that did that murder. It was Rodney Alcala. Oh, God. Yep. One of the Hillside Stranglers so was... just, like, mixing up serial killers at this point? <laughs> One of... <laughs> Mix and match. Just really, they're all over the place. Collect them Who all. was doing what? Yep. <laughs> One of Rodney Alcala's victims had been misattributed to the Hillside Strangler, and that's why Rodney Alcala was involved in that investigation. However, he was not taken in for more questioning than that. And was free to go. And then in 1978, he goes on the dating game. Under his own name? Under Rodney Alcala. Rodney Alcala, who like, I will remind you is a registered sex a offender. What a different time. What a different time. Yeah, people <laughs> just didn't ask these things, I guess. Yeah. I had to get an FBI background check to work at a summer camp. Yeah. Like... How does this not happen on a TV show where you're literally trying to get young men and women together on a date? Yeah. How? Oof. The answer is he's charming. <laughs> and they don't have these background checks. I'm telling you, you should just make this about background checks and how they're important. Well, it is kind of about background <laughs> checks, but it's more about people who, like, thought that it wasn't necessary, I guess. In 1979, a young girl named Robin Samso went missing. Her body was found near where Alcala lived with his parents. Her body so he's was not very good at the whole like. No, <laughs> he wasn't very good at Sneaky this thing. He was literally <laughs> going found... anywhere else. <laughs> like his first known crime was like literally was In interrupted during while it was happening. Right. Like he's not subtle In about this. In his own house. Alcala is identified in this investigation because Robin Samso's friend, who was at the beach with her the other day, remembered a curly-haired stranger asking to take pictures with them. And as soon as an adult came near them in the conversation, he turned his head and walked away. Multiple other people from the beach also identified Alcala as being the photographer on the beach. A police sketch, which looked a lot like him, was then circulated. And fun fact, as soon as the police sketch was circulated, Alcala changed his appearance. 
What, did he cut his hair or something? He, like, got it styled differently. <laughs> Great. So it wasn't, like, r- super curly anymore, which was, like, I guess the trademark. <laughs> you know, you know, people, police were like, hi, we're looking for... Incredibly curly-haired man! <laughs> we're looking for a guy who looks like a sad art professor version of Weird Al Yankovic. He's supposed to be really charming. Can you help us find him? <laughs> He's been on this one dating show. He's just so handsome. God. Have you that heard his curly song? curly hair? It never stops bouncing. Can you tell that I'm really annoyed at, at, like, repeatedly reading how charming Rodney Alcala was? And did they use any other word other than charming? Oh, sure. They thought he, they said he was a ladies' man. They said he was a jet setter. Said he had a bohemian lifestyle. Wait, bohemian. Right. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like I just read the word bohemian when describing fashion trends on, like, online websites for clothes. <laughs> I feel like whenever I hear Bohemian, it's either in reference to the Queen song or during someone saying how bad the movie Rent is. Fun fact, I have never seen Rent. Don't. It's bad. <laughs> it's very, very bad. Do they just wear Bohemian clothing the whole time? <laughs> no. Th- is that it? <laughs> I believe they live la vie bohème is what they do. Oh. That's the whole thing. So at this at this cliffhanger, Rodney Alcala is being investigated poli- by police because they super definitely have a lot of people identifying him and a really like obvious sketch of him. Right. I'm gonna take a break so that we can go to a commercial. I'm Tom Lockney. And I'm Liam Sr. I really like video games and internet culture. And I like movies and TV. And every week we research a true story from our preferred mediums and tell it to the other person. It's super fun and it's great. And even when it gets a little intense, we find the laughs in it, damn it. Lots of learning, lots of laughter, sometimes bummers, but lots of friendship. Media Majors, every Monday on the Major Cast Network. Alcala is, of course, arrested because obviously, obviously... Why would he not be? Did he charm his way out of this one, though? No. Damn it. Alcala, you're losing it. Yeah, you're losing your touch, old I man. I imagine charm... Like, I don't imagine him saying anything, but just having, like, this... Like a finger, Pied Piper kind no, 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 of deal? No, 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 Like, finger guns with, like, a big, wide smile and a little <laughs> sparkle in his teeth. And then, end of scene, he's charmed them all. <laughs> Everyone is charmed. That's it. He also, can't be arrested. They're all, also, they're all dead. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> Welcome back to Big Time Whoopsies, which is apparently a podcast about murder. How stories, you need criminal background checks. <laughs> but also a, st- a podcast about how you should do criminal background checks so that you don't let a guy who is convicted of child molestation onto your dating show. Are we going to get back to the dating show part? Not really. Well, darn. Because literally what happens with the dating show is he wins despite him saying nighttime is the best time. It's the only time there is. Also, one of the other bachelors said that on some of his answers, the audience booed, but it was edited to make it sound like everyone laughed at his jokes. You know, because he's so charming. Nice. Um, and he and he gets kind of weird and negative towards the lady and she goes like i don't think i'm gonna go no thank you i I don't think you're the man i'm destined to learn tennis with (laughs) (laughs) this was not foretold in my prophecy and cheryl you are so lucky (laughs) you were so right oh my god 
So Alcala is arrested for the murder of Robin Sanso. He is Samso. He is tried and convicted and sentenced to death. Oh. And that's where the story ends. Oh. Just kidding. That's not where it ends. Oh. The conviction was overturned. Well. So we had to go back to trial in 1986. <laughs> well. So Rodney Alcala could be tried for this murder again. He is convicted again. He is sentenced to death again. And it's overturned again. Why? Why did they? The I feel first like time... you can look at the past things. The first time the lawyers brought up his past criminal history, which I guess wasn't kosher. The second time, the lawyers didn't allow a character witness for Alcala to corroborate something of his. Because he had said something about how police officers had hypnotized people. And the lawyers refused to allow a witness to corroborate that. So that that literally... Overturned! All, that's all that was required. The trial was overturned. Although the first thing, like, they can't bring up his past criminal history. I feel like is a, a fair reason to overturn something i guess i just i feel like it's an important thing to know like hi we're trying you we're trying you for murdering a child hey you raped a child a long time ago didn't you yeah like i just i I feel like that has a bearing on the case but that the ability to do that as a lawyer in a case i feel like could be taken into bad places yeah i think in a case that doesn't involve like a serial killer and a rapist maybe right it doesn't have as much of a bearing like mm-hmm. you know you don't want a guy who just you know he was arrested for robbing something when he was like 19 right and then when he's like 35 and has a family and gets arrested for something he didn't do you don't want them to be able to go like see he was a criminal exactly and I get that, but at the same time... Like, it's time, like a legal backing up of the whole, like, see, he was a thug, mm-hmm. you know, narrative. And that's an, and that's also a good thing. So, after, sometime after this, uh, I think during the Clinton administration, uh, California introduced minimum sentences instead of this indeterminate thing mm-hmm. where people mm-hmm. would just get out when they convinced a parole board to let them out. Right. Um, certain crimes would have minimum sentences, like they would have this many years that they had to serve in prison. Yeah. And while that was horrible for a lot of people, it would have helped a lot with Rodney Alcala. Minimum sentences are a really good way to have a lot of your population behind bars at all time. It's one of at all times. It's one of the best ways for mass incarceration to continue right. and flourish. Mm-hmm. However, in this specific case, a minimum sentence would have helped. Yeah. Would have been a good thing. It's like, almost like sexual predators are slightly different in terms of their criminal class than other people's and probably should be treated accordingly. What? Was that a moral, Eric? No. I didn't hear you. No morals here. (laughs) So the conviction is overturned again and Alcala doesn't get tried again until 2010. Wait, wait, hang on. So that was in 1986. Yeah. To 2010? Yeah. That's... Well, okay, because... Okay, because trials... 24 years! Trials which involve death sentences take a long time. Oh, yeah, okay, that's fair. Like, they just take forever to do anything. Right. And I am I believe he was just in jail from 1986 to 2010, even though his conviction was overturned. And I assume that's just because, you know, everyone knew he was guilty. Like, no one wanted to try this again. Hmm. Anyway, in 2010... He goes on trial again, and this time, it's not just for the murder of Robin Sanso. Samso. The um, prosecutors include four other women that were murdered in that same period of time, and which all have a trademark that they have begun to associate with Rodney Alcala. Each body was found strangled 
sometimes strang but sometimes there was evidence that he would strangle and then allow them to return to consciousness and then strangle them again. I actually so you know those dumb cop shows that you make fun of me for watching. Well, there was like one episode that I watched where it was about some like serial strangler or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but like his trademark was that he did that like yeah. he would it was a really drawn out strangling yeah um but what they said was that actually it's probably because he literally doesn't have the hand strength oh my god and like has to take a break but like still wants to strangle i oh guess oh my god that's right sucks. how terrible is that <sighs> and like literally doesn't have the strength to fully strangle them to death but like eventually does it would also just suck like god i'm being killed by a guy who's not even good Who at sucks. <laughs> like he's not even good at this and i'm still dying because of this shit bag yeah just to throw that in there uh, serial killers are the worst <laughs> he said in Name the, controver that. <laughs> the controversial statement of the century yeah serial killers they're bad a hot serial take killers, by eric mcadams the worst <laughs> Hi, I'm Eric McAdams, and I have a unique historical perspective. I think people who murder people are, are bad. bad. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bada bing. So in 2010, Rodney Alcala acts as his own attorney. Good. Good. <laughs> During his time, he has self-published a book called You, the Jury, where he basically wrote out the whole case of Robin Samso and said, I didn't do it. And here's why. Mm -hmm. However, because he was his own attorney and decided to put himself on the witness stand, which, by the way, resulted in him questioning himself. Yep. Which was like... I feel like that doesn't really work that well. Yeah, it's like, it, it ended up being this, like, bizarre monologue where he used two different voices to denote... Eric, <laughs> this is what your life story is going to be like. Yeah. Past Eric and present I... Eric asking questions. <laughs> when we were talking about that, I thought about making a segue to the story. Oh my god. Because I was reminded of it. So he does that, and it's, like, really bizarre, and, in, and it, he rambles a lot, and he doesn't really prove much. And when prosecutors bring up the other four women, which, by the way, there is DNA evidence of not only his fingerprints, but also his semen from the crime scenes, linking him to those murders. That's not damning at all. Rodney Alcala does not have an answer to this. <laughs> he came in prepared for the for the murder of Robin Samso. He was not ready to defend He, did, he needs them. time to publish four more books. He needed another 24 years for each murder case. <laughs> for each one. Yeah. He works slow. Get off his back. Oh, God. Seriously, he'll kill you. <sighs> so he just doesn't have a defense. Like, literally, he just says, well, I don't remember killing them. <laughs> like, that's all he's got. I feel like I would remember doing that. So, yeah. you know, yeah, and no. <laughs> here's the piece de resistance. During his closing argument, Rodney Alcala plays a section of Arlo Guthrie's song, Alice's Restaurant. And for all the baby boomers listening to this, I bet you can guess which part of the song he plays because the lyrics that he plays from the section that he plays are, I went up there, I said, shrink, I want to kill. I want to kill. I want to see blood and gore and guts and veins in my teeth. Eat dead, burnt bodies. I mean, kill, kill. Well... Which is just a great idea if you're trying to prove yourself as not guilty in a murder Did case. Did he include that quote in his book, though? I don't know. I didn't read it, funnily enough. Eric. 
not doing your research. This isn't a deep dive research podcast. It's an overview. Overview. If you want to, if you want to do more in depth research, (laughs) the things you would learn. (laughs) Probably the lyrics to that song, at least. So Alice's Restaurant is an incredibly long song. It's like a folk song by Arlo Guthrie, and it's like a narrative kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The whole killing thing, I believe, is part of him saying that that made him suited to be a police officer. What? Because it's, oh. you know, it's a folk song from a while sure. ago. And, yeah. it, and okay. it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's it's not like a bad song. It's not like all about how he wants to kill. It's not actually meant to be for a serial killer. Yeah, that's not that wasn't really what it was intended. Also, I just... I assume he was trying to prove he was innocent with that. I just don't see how that would do that. Like, why would you... So is he insane? He's we been, don't know. He's been analyzed by a couple of psychi- psychologists, and he's they diagnose him occasionally with, like, narcissistic personality disorder, other disorders. He's got a couple comorbidities. It's not really clear what he's got, but obviously he's not, like, super right in the head. Mm-hmm. But that being said, it doesn't mean that you're mentally ill if you're a serial killer. There have been a lot of people who don't. Right. There have been a lot of serial killers who don't really ping on mentally Ill, on, like, any mentally ill chart. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still, like, serial killers. Yeah. And this is also not to say, like, you know, mentally ill people are more uh-huh. likely to because mentally ill people are just as cool slash bad as the rest of us buried they are just people like the rest of us (sighs) obviously alcala doesn't win this trial and this time the result isn't overturned he's still in jail but he hasn't been like put and i no, he was i he is not he's still alive he's in prison um and he is convicted of these murders these five and again there were other murders that he was connected to that he was never tried for like the one in new york there was one in seattle because he had a storage locker up in washington state which is where they found jewelry that once belonged to robin samso which was great to pin the murder on him yeah again not the sneakiest yeah i wonder he's... how charming he is now well, I just, like, I, you can, there are pictures of him now, and he really does look like a sad art professor, Weird Al Yankovic. Like, he's not a handsome man. Right. People just, like, relentlessly describe it. Sorry. You can, does I've, he, like, know that he, the whole charming thing? I guess. Is that what, you know, led him to be his own attorney? Like, I just don't understand why... Other than writing the book, I guess, and feeling like... I mean, like... he had clearly had some success with charming people. Right. But it feels like nowadays, a lot of times you get things like, oh, he was so charming. And then, like, every personal account with the guy is like, actually, he's super creepy. Mm-hmm. And there's this... There is this, like, sexual fetish fetishization of violence in men. There is this, like... A violent man occasionally can be portrayed as sexy. Like, there are a lot of, like, sexy serial killers in TV and movies. Mm-hmm. Not, like, in real life, because usually they look like the bottom of a garbage can. But yes. Apt. I just... Thanks. <laughs> I pride myself on my similes. Did you come up with that while reading the story? <laughs> no, I came up with that just right now. 
<laughs> that man, he looks like the bottom of a garbage can. <laughs> this is Eric. It's been big time whoopsies. <laughs> I tell you what, boys, he looks like the ass end of a garbage can. That's the end of the story. Well, I I don't I don't feel happy. We'll say that. What? You mean the story about a serial killer and the people who like Weren't let him... Weren't there going to be good things at the end of this? There are. That Is happens, there a that pot of gold at the end of this shitty, shitty rainbow? So the moral of this story is do criminal background checks. Why would you not do that? Dating game? <laughs> Everyone. Like, ever. LA Times, LA Times in 1978. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't just hire typesetters that you can scrape off the street. <laughs> like a piece of gum. <laughs> He's a gun that liked to strangle people. Fuck. And looked like the bottom end of a garbage can. That too. And also, like, journalists writing about Rodney Alcala in, like, modern day don't continue to describe him as charming. You know he's <laughs> a serial killer. the point. <laughs> you don't even have the excuse of not knowing that he was a serial killer. You know he's a serial killer and Super you still convicted. say he's charming. <laughs> How does that happen? Eric, I demand happy things. So, at the end of every uh, Big Time Whoopsies episode, after a story of incompetence on a grand scale, I give you a little story about competence in an absurd way. A wee scale of competence. Last week, I told Tom about hermitages. This week, I'm going to tell you about a science thing. Oh. Specifically, a medical science thing. Oh. I know those things. Yeah, you know more about them than I do. I just... (laughs) I know vaguely about this process, but I don't, like... So, this is a process called osteoodontokeratoprosthesis. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I can tell you about it, but I can't tell you why it works. Okay, Because okay. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I am a mere humanities major. Eric, you should be doing jazz hands right now. I, <laughs> listeners, I'm doing jazz hands. No, you're not. Yes, don't I Don't lie to them. <laughs> don't listen to Lily. She they deserve to know. <laughs> Eric has never done jazz hands in his life. I've done jazz hands many times. <laughs> I, mean, I was a theater major. Are you kidding? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Osteo is a process in which a tooth is removed from a blind person. Yeah, already was just this is a whirlwind. A tooth is removed from from a from the mouth of a blind person. Okay. Yep. Weird. Also removed is a is the mucosal lining in the cheek of the blind person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this per- blind person alive? Yes. Okay. Blind person is alive. There is a procedure in which the eye, which is has been rendered blind by scar tissue, I believe. Mm-hmm. This is specifically for people who've been rendered blind by scar t- scar tissue. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I'm not a science guy. Mm-hmm. And then the tooth and the mucosal lining are kind of combined and grown within the cheek of the patient. And then they use the tooth with that lining to hold a cylinder within the person's eye that goes to um, the, eye, the, the pupil, I assume. Mm-hmm. And with that, light is allowed to go through the eye and the person can see with it. So this is someone who, like, scar tissue has just literally, like, blocked their vision. And they use the tissue to sort of just, like, insert a little cylinder. And they use a tooth and the mucosal lining because a piece of plastic might be rejected by the body. Right. 
and it's like 20% more or like 50% more likely Mm -hmm. to be accepted if it's part of the person's own body Mm -hmm. and they usually use a canine which has been filed into a specific shape creepy (laughs) so they do this and literally using a tooth that they put in a person's eye (laughs) they can make someone see again and a british builder named martin jones is the famous version of this in 2009 he saw his wife for the first time because of this procedure wow it was this process was pioneered by a man named benedetto strampelli an italian scientist an italian doctor and he pioneered it in the 1960s oh that was a long time ago yeah no they like they've done this like a few like dozens of times now not like a ton obviously because it's a pretty niche process actually do you want to know what the first successfully translated um organ was what was it cornea well there you go eye parts we're really humans they're the next very... thing was testicles <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even learn that in a science class either of course not you learned that like buzzfeed or something no i learned that in my healthcare ethics class of course healthcare ethics telling Where me about balls <laughs> yes apparently fucking I'm you like heard it here sure. first, folks. Not 100%. You heard it here first. Humans can cure blindness with your own tooth. Also, transplant- testicles. Testicles <laughs> are one of the first organs we transplanted. Great. This has been Big Time Whoopsies. My- I'm Lily. My name is Eric McAdams. Thank you for being on my podcast, Lily. You're welcome. Though we didn't avoid talking about genitals, so it's a very typical episode. But only in, like, the last second. And it was my fault. (laughs) I will take the blame. And the testicles with me. Okay, alright, thank you. (laughs) Shiva! Jazz hands. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.